Welcome back to the Service Business Mastery Podcast. I'm Nate Adams, your guest host for this season. Tersh has been kind enough to hand over the microphone because he thought that this content would be useful to you as HVAC company owners. So uh, we are on part three of the first chapter of my book, The Home Comfort Book, which is Home Comfort 101. In this part, we're going to talk about case studies of homes that landed in the Gulf of Disappointment and also the Sea of Success and what that looks like. We'll also talk about getting a home in balance and how that can be done and how it's both complicated and simple at the same time. And then the last main part talks a lot about how to find a good home performance specialist. So this is the advice that we are giving to homeowners in looking for people like yourself. So I hope you find this useful and I'll catch you on the other side. This is part three of Home Comfort 101, a chapter of the Home Comfort book, read by me, Nate Adams, the author. So we are starting on page 51, and there are two photos here of a 1915 Dutch colonial home, not far from where I live, and a 1959 Cape Cod home that's up in University Heights, Ohio. These are real-world examples of the Gulf and the sea. Here's an example of a job that failed to hit the tipping point. This project was late in my contracting career and was the first that I measured energy use on. Energy use reductions are a good proxy for success. A proxy is something that can stand in as a representation of something else. In this case, energy use is a proxy for both comfort and project success. The blower door started at 5800 CFM 50 and ended at 3500. It's about 2000 square feet, so it was at about a 3 to 1 leakage to square footage ratio and got reduced to 1.75 to 1. It wasn't close enough to the one-to-one -one likely tipping point. The Gulf of Disappointment chart. This house had a substantial attic job, very good air leakage reduction, 38%, but it didn't hit the tipping point. So on the S-curve of reality curve, this home only experienced a 9% drop in energy use. This home only saved 9% on winter natural gas usage. It was very disappointing. This project was aiming primarily at chasing a $1,250 rebate from the gas company. That took our eye off the ball of reducing energy usage and improving comfort, which were the real client objectives. This house, unfortunately, lives in the Gulf of Disappointment. The job done on the attic was high quality. The house doesn't have central air conditioning, yet the client reported drastically improved summer comfort. The second floor is now nowhere near as warm as in years past. Ceiling, the top alone, in this house wasn't enough. The walls and basement remain uninsulated, and it retains an older, inefficient furnace. 
I'm honestly not sure which improvement or improvements is best to recommend. It would take another look at the house with my new eyes. I've become a big believer in energy models, which are essentially a big spreadsheet that predicts how much energy a home will use if you make various modifications to it. It lets you what if a home. An energy model could help us understand how far we need to go with this house. There is frequently a tipping point with the models where savings go from modest to substantial with the right solution package. We could figure out where that tipping point lies and hence where we are likely to succeed. Conversely, this next home, which is similar in structure and size, is in the sea of success. You can read all about it. It's the 1959 Cape Cod case study at energysmartohio.com. It also started out at a 5800 blower door and was reduced to 3100. It's 2400 square feet, so it went from 2.4 to 1 down to 1.3 to 1 ratio. We tackled a crawl space, a few walls, and worked very hard on the five separate attics. There's a chart here of the sea of success. So this was the substantial attic job, some wall insulation, an insulated crawl space, and a very good air leakage reduction of 45%. This house hit the tipping point. This home hit at least 74 inches. It saved 45% in winter natural gas usage. A remarkable move. It was far more comfortable as well. Like I said, we find energy savings to be a good proxy for success. In the homeowner's review, he declared the project a resounding success. This was the budget package, by the way. The second floor is never more than two to three degrees different from the first, a big move from a 10 to 15 degree swing before. There are still a few things to deal with in this home that didn't fit in the budget. Humidity is still higher than we'd like indoors. A kitchen fan vented outdoors and or a whole home dehumidifier would likely remedy these problems. The fan was in the sweet spot package and the dehumidifier was in the complete package. We likely wouldn't have known that humidity was even a problem in this house had we not installed an EcoV thermostat that tracks indoor humidity, among other things. Again, you can read more about this home in the 1959 Cape Cod case study. I mentioned the minor issues still remaining with the home because it's important to understand that perfection is an impossible goal. Excellence is a better one. This house hit about 80 inches. It did not hit 95 inches. Our plans likely would get it to 95, but it is often more money than is practical to spend. If Adam and Rena live there for the rest of their lives, they may opt to make all of those upgrades. Can you see why we focus on 74 inches? It's very frustrating to try several expensive things with no noticeable results. Better to spend some time and money planning before executing you may avoid years of frustration. Go big or go home to disappointment. If you really want to solve a problem, the first round of upgrades needs to be substantial or disappointment is likely. It's kind of like going on a diet. If you lose 10 pounds in the first week, you'll feel spurred on to do more. If you only lose a pound, you'll likely react with a meh 
and go back to previous behavior. Aim for that upper inflection point in the S-curve, where more effort doesn't pay off as well. That should land you in the sea of success. Don't fall for low-hanging fruit thinking and aim for the lower inflection points that tries to do the least amount to achieve a noticeable difference. The odds of landing in the gulf of disappointment are high there. Aim for the upper inflection point where additional effort pays off less. You're much more likely to hit 74 inches and swim in the sea of success. You'll be glad you did. Did I recommend working with a home performance specialist to help you discover where 74 is likely to be? To reiterate, nothing is absolute. Success lies on a spectrum, so keep your expectations reasonable and tied to budget. Results spectrum. So this is a repeat from before. Budget determines what's possible on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being misery and 10 being bliss. Again, budget is largely what determines what you get. Your home is a mobile. Get it in balance. You may have noticed that we really like thinking about homes in terms of balance. One of the best ways to wrap your head around how your house really works is by thinking of it like a hanging mobile. All the pieces have to be balanced for it to work well. Thinking of a mobile is a great way to tie the myriad of concepts we've covered together. The five priorities, air seal, air seal, air seal, insulate, and right HVAC. The blower door, aim for a one-to-one -one ratio or better. The four tenets, comfort, health, durability, and efficiency. Control, controlling air, heat, and moisture flow is the key to everything. Heat transfer, convection, conduction, and radiation. And then the rules, hot to cold, wet to dry, gravity acts down, pressure goes from high to low via the easiest path, and the weird one, wet goes to cold. It also ties together your house is a leaky boat, getting to the 74-inch tipping points, and swimming in the sea of success. Let's translate everything we've learned into a hanging mobile, built step by step. The first step is seeing that there are two main areas we need to control. What goes in and out of your home and what stays inside your home. Easy enough. So as a mobile, the top of it is your home and then there are two legs hanging off of it. One is in and out and the other one is inside. The next step is getting control over air, heat, and moisture flows in both of the aspects we talked about, in and out and inside. So now the mobile has your home at the top, in and out on one side, inside on the other, and both of those sides have air, heat, and moisture hanging below them. Until you have control over the left side, in and out, you can't control much inside the house. It's like that leaky boat. If you want it to go fast, a bigger engine is not the first thing on the list. Fixing the leak is. Whoa, now it looks a bit complicated. Controlling air, heat, and moisture flows has a different path for in and out and inside your home. Let's break it down. So in and out of your home, air is controlled by air sealing. Heat is controlled by air sealing and insulation. 
and moisture is controlled primarily by waterproofing and air sealing. On the inside of your home, air is controlled by the HVAC, multiple speed equipment, and filtration. Heat is controlled by the HVAC and multiple stages of heating and cooling. And moisture is controlled by the HVAC system through dehumidification and humidification, and also the fans in your kitchen and bathroom. If it isn't clear by now, do not change your HVAC until you tighten your house if you expect to solve problems. Control in and out of your home. So now this is just focusing on the in and out side of the mobile. See why air sealing is so critical? It looms large in all three of the air, heat, and moisture aspects. With moisture, waterproofing may need to happen first, but then air sealing is next. For heat, insulation is important, but until the air seal is complete, it's like wearing that holy sweater on the end of a cold, windy pier. It's pointless. I don't think it's possible to overstress the importance of air sealing your home. By the way, you can't actually make a house too tight. You just need to provide fresh air for the occupants with a fresh air system. This system can be very simple to very complex. They are a good idea regardless of how tight a home is. Control inside your home. Inside, your HVAC system rules. This could be a furnace, air conditioner, heat pump, boiler, wood stove, humidifier, dehumidifier, fresh air system, or any combination of those. It's what heats and cools your home. As we'll learn later in the book, it's what provides healthy air as well. For airflow, you want just enough, but not too much, so you don't notice air blowing and get uncomfortable. That takes multiple fan speeds. A little air blowing mixes the air in the house and improves mean radiant temperature. Mean radiant temperature is the average temperature of the walls, ceilings, and floors around us. For heat or cool flow, we want just enough to match what the house needs. That requires multiple heating and cooling stages so it can deliver small doses of heat or cool. Because they can dole out small doses of heat and cool, right-sized HVAC will warm or cool surfaces to improve mean radiant temperature at the same time they help keep the air temperature and humidity just right. More on that in the HVAC 101 and HVAC 102 chapters. So zooming back out again. For moisture flow inside your home, you want to be able to add or subtract it as needed. In the winter, you may want to add some moisture with a humidifier, although tighter homes need that much less. If you live in a climate with humid summers, you'll want to be able to remove moisture as needed to make the house more comfortable and healthy. Then your sweat can evaporate and, you, and keep you cool, even in higher temperatures. We find most clients like 74 to 78 degrees when humidity is under control in the 40 to 50% relative humidity range. That may sound crazy, but it's not. See the Home Comfort 102 chapter for more once it's done. If you get the in and out and inside pieces of the mobile balanced, you can have an amazingly comfortable home that is also healthy 
largely free of moisture problems, and is inexpensive to operate. Most homes aren't balanced though. So next, we'll look at a few examples. Old leaky house example. My favorite homes are those built before 1945. They have craftsmanship, charm, and character, but they also tend to leak like sieves. They usually have huge temperature differences between rooms and floors. Their basements are damp, and their furnaces are usually two to three times larger than necessary. Here's what one might look like on the mobile. So the top of the mobile says old and leaky home, and it's out of balance. The in and out side is dragging the mobile down, so it's not hanging straight. Air leakage is overriding other problems. The HVAC might be messed up, but it's not the weakest link. Because it's so leaky, the in and out side is wildly out of balance. Air leakage is allowing tons of air, heat, and moisture to leak in and out of the house. There's very little control. The inside side of the mobile could be really messed up, but we won't really know until the in and out side is in balance. Energy modeling can help us understand what size HVAC might be needed. Until we find out exactly what blower door number we achieve with air sealing, we can't have confidence in what size furnace, heat pump, or boiler to install. Hence, air sealing and insulation always comes first, if feasible. If not, size your HVAC for where you're going on the small side, not what you need today. That will prevent having to replace it again later. Yes, that's a bit scary, but the difference you need on a cold day is likely one or two space heaters. See the HVAC 102 chapter to help take the fear out of this. A leaky old house is a pretty typical problem, but let's take a look at a much more surprising one, a tight new home with comfort problems. Tight new house with oversized HVAC example. So on this mobile, at the top is the tight new home with big HVAC, and this one is leaning down on the inside part of things. Because the in and outside is largely taken care of, the house is reasonably tight. But the oversized furnace doesn't warm the far rooms, and mean radiant temperature is poor. I've tested a number of homes built in the last 10 to 15 years that are quite airtight, but are still very uncomfortable. The culprit? A huge furnace and air conditioner. It kicks on for a few minutes, then kicks back off. Often the rooms furthest from the furnace freeze in the winter because the heat didn't make it there before the furnace turned off. The walls remain cold because heat comes in blasts, like a bucket of water being dumped over your head versus a nice shower. While the in and out side is in balance, the inside side of the mobile is out of whack. Sometimes you can simply turn up the temperature and it helps, but often the solution is to rip out the HVAC system and replace it with a well-designed, right-sized one. That isn't greeted with happy faces in a newer home, but it's quite common. Here's a third example, the insulated, leaky old house with fancy new HVAC. These ones are the most painful to me. The homeowner just forked over many thousands to insulate the house, but no air sealing work was done. This isn't uncommon. Speaking with one of the test out auditors from my gas company's energy efficiency rebate program, he said that most homes he tested out 
had no change to their blower door number from where they began, or just a token amount. That's scary because air sealing is extremely difficult to do after insulation is installed. The HVAC is also a new fancy schmancy top-of-the-line modulating furnace or heat pump which does everything but your laundry. At the right size, I love modulating equipment, which have three or more stages, because they solve a lot of problems. If they're too big though, they often have to be replaced. Otherwise, comfort is still unattainable, and there's still a very hot or very cold room. Often, the second floor is five to 10 degrees different from the first, making sleeping difficult in summer. People don't call me for giggles, they call because they have a problem. Now I have the awful job of telling them to throw a very expensive HVAC system away. I hate having to tell people that. Furthermore, the house still grows massive icicles because heat leaks into the attic through all the gaps that weren't sealed. Gutters are ripped off, ceilings collapse, and walls are ruined. But wait, there's more! Because they insulated the attic, which used to be warm, the roof deck is now cold. Wet goes to cold. Since the moisture inside the house can escape into the attic, it condenses on the cold roof deck and presto, mold! I wrote an article for the Journal of Light Construction called The Petri Dish House about a situation like this. Very moldy roof deck in an older home. This is spectacularly difficult to make happen in pre-1945 homes. The central humidifier was set to high, plus they were running six, yes, six, room humidifiers. One of the homeowners is from a very warm and humid climate and wanted to recreate it. Creating a tropical environment during a Cleveland winter is not a good idea. Because physics. To fix this whole messy situation correctly, the HVAC likely needs to be ripped out along with the insulation. Mold remediation needs to happen. Then we have to start over with new air sealing, insulation, and HVAC. The mistake of poorly insulating and installing the wrong HVAC in an older home could easily cost tens of thousands of dollars to fix. Sound like fun? Of course not. And why? Because air sealing was not a priority. I've seen all of these problems hundreds of times. It bums me out. But it's part of why I wrote this book. I hope to help many more avoid these expensive mistakes. Every house, every homeowner, and every budget is different. So this is a Venn diagram that I just love. Uh, you've probably heard about the good, fast, and cheap pick two thing. Uh, so in this case, what we find is good is the only thing that you can usually get. So in the good uh, circle, it says take your time, spend the money, do it right the first time. And that really is the best way. Now, if you want to have good and fast, but not cheap, it's going to be expensive and something will likely be missed. When you go too fast, things get missed. If you want good and cheap, this is possible, it's slow, but now you are going to DIY with love and help from a home performance specialist. And where fast and cheap cross, you get crappy, which means bigger problems later, like that insulated, leaky old house with a fancy HVAC system. And in the middle, where all three of those cross, 
unicorns and sea monsters live here. You can't get good, fast, and cheap altogether. When you put the whole mobile together with all of its parts, you can begin to see how complex a home is. In and out versus inside. Air, heat, and moisture. Air sealing, insulation, and HVAC. All of those elements affect the four tenets. Comfort, health, durability, and efficiency. Can you balance all of these things at the same time? Of course, but it may not fit your budget. If you've heard the phrase, good, fast, or cheap, pick two, we find it doesn't work with effective home performance work. Go too fast and you'll miss something. Cheap out and something won't work or will cause major issues down the road. There really is only good. If you do work yourself, DIY, you can often reduce the budget a great deal, but good and cheap work from contractors is likely to live with unicorns and sea monsters. Figuring out what good is for your home is why design and planning is necessary to see how much you can do within your budget. You have specific problems you'd like to have solved. Your home has various things it needs to solve your problems. And you have a different budget from everyone else, which means that the solution is custom to both you and your home. There are no shortcuts or cookie cutter solutions. Design and planning are required. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I've already failed enough trying shortcuts that I won't take them anymore. How to really solve problems in your home. The key to solving problems, staying on budget, hitting the 74 inch tipping point, and swimming in the sea of success is planning. We've beaten our heads against a lot of walls working to figure out a process for doing this. And here it is. First, learn. Get educated on what the root causes are and how to fix them. You are now a partner in the solution process, not an onlooker. Two, define. What problems do you want to solve? How important is each one to solve? How much does your home leak? What problems does it have? What is the budget for the project? Third, plan. Develop plans to solve as much as you can within the budget you are comfortable with. And fourth, implement. Get bids, do the work, test the work during and after completion, track to see if the predicted results match actual ones, and optimize the house to be the best it can be. If I thought you could truly DIY or do it yourself, this process, I'd tell you so. There are many parts to the upgrades you can DIY, but you're going to need a helping hand with planning. I need help myself. I've been ruminating about what to do with my own home for years now, and I've needed the help of my business partner. Think about that. I know enough to write this book, and I still need help making a plan. I simply can't divorce my emotions from what needs to be solved. Worse, because I haven't settled on budget, I haven't settled on a solution package. I'm out of process. I am trying to skip from step two to step four. Until I firm up my budget and get back in process, I'm likely to fail. A building scientist or a home performance specialist can help keep you in process. The time, money, and frustration saved should more than make it worth working with a home performance specialist. Many of our clients become friends through the process. This is a satisfying way for everyone to work. Conversely, 
Please don't be the people in the old insulated house with new HVAC that needs to be redone. The odds are that house will never be fixed. It's just too painful to admit to wasting tens of thousands of dollars, then spend tens of thousands of dollars more to undo the work and redo it correctly. Half measures lead to quarter results. Remember the promise you made at the beginning to be open and to not take shortcuts? Now it's time to keep that promise. You're in step one. Learn. Keep learning. When you are ready to make a plan, find a home performance specialist. More on what to look for in just a moment. Congrats! You now understand the basics of how your house really works. If you want a comfortable, healthy, long-lasting, and efficient home, get a plan using the five priorities. Air sealing, air sealing, air sealing, insulation, and well-designed and installed HVAC. We highly recommend that you keep reading and educating yourself. Be sure to define the problems you want to solve. Those are the why of your project. When you're ready to tackle your project, here are a few things to do. Five things to do to prepare for a home performance project. First, don't procrastinate. Before your furnace or air conditioner dies, begin the planning process so you understand the opportunities your home has for improvement. Winging it often leads to lousy outcomes and huge mistakes. These projects take time, often four to eight months from initial consultation to project completion. The faster you go, the more likely you are to miss things and waste money. If you want to be ready for next winter, start at the end of winter, not in October. Start now or risk wasting a ton of money on the wrong solutions to deliver comfort and having to replace them again or live with mediocrity. Second, make a ranked pain list. What bothers you about your house? Make a list. Uncomfortable rooms? Mold? Icicles? Asthma or allergies? Rate the problems from zero, you don't notice, to 10. I don't care how much it costs, fix it now. Put them in order from high pain to low pain. The ranked pain list is your priority list that you will judge success or failure of the project with. Third, consider budget. Don't share this with your home performance specialist just yet. What is it worth per month to make each of the ranked pain items go away. How much to make them all go away? As a rule of thumb, if it's not at least $50 a month or half a cell phone bill, it probably doesn't make sense to chase. Solve with space heaters and window air conditioners. The higher that number, the more likely a solution is. Fourth, consider DIY ability and availability. This is a great way to save money on a project. If you have both time and ability, on an ability scale from zero, which end of the screwdriver do I use, to 10, Bob Vila, where do you rank? On an availability skill of zero, I ain't got time for that, to 10, I got 24-7, 365, where are you? Fifth, do your homework. You may not be able to find a practitioner in your area who meets your needs. The more educated you are, the more likely you'll be able to spot problems and get a good result. You may consider buying the rest of this book 
if you only downloaded this chapter. Yes, it's a blatant plug, but it's also why I wrote the book, to help consumers do their homework and get better results. Six things to look for in a home performance specialist. Once you tackle those preparation steps, it's time to find a home performance specialist. You are looking for one thing, proof they can predictably deliver results. You want a partner, not a salesperson. Here are six things that will help you understand if they can deliver. Don't waste thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. Look for these things. First, case studies. These are still very rare. A detailed look at what the objectives were, how the project went, and if the objectives were met. Expect before predicted and after lower door readings at a minimum. Before predicted and after energy use is also good to look for. It is a proxy for success. We built Energy Smart's case studies to raise the bar on case studies. Check them out at energysmartohio.com and look for a home like yours. Second, concern for outcomes. Do they talk very specifically about solving client problems? Not platitudes or PR bullpucky, but real human concern? Do they have blog entries that talk about specific projects? Do they talk about making adjustments after a project to get it just right? It's called project commissioning or continuous optimization. Can you get contact information from satisfied clients? Call them and ask how much they heard from the company after the project was complete. Did they call a week later, a month later, after the seasons changed? Did they ask for energy use a year later? If someone does all of this, you probably have a good home performance specialist. Third, positive reviews. Reviews should be pushing a five-star average. If there are negative reviews, are the concerns valid or just whiny? Did the people who left negative reviews actually have work done by the company? Check multiple venues such as Google, Angie's List, which is now free, and Yelp. Do they match up? Do you suspect employees, friends, or family may have written some reviews? Fourth, meaty reviews. They were really nice and cleaned up well is not meaty. Here's a meaty review. They listened to our concerns, developed an excellent plan, and showed lots of care about the details. Our bedroom is substantially cooler on hot days, just as we asked. We are sleeping much better. Meaty reviews are long and detailed. Fifth, subjective proof. At the end of the day, comfort is a state of mind and can't be measured. Do the reviews and or case studies have quotes from the homeowners stating that problems were solved to their satisfaction and expectation? Sixth, objective proof. Home performance is all about measurement. There should be numbers all over the case studies and reviews. Do clients mention blower door numbers in reviews? Do case studies include before predicted and after blower door numbers? Is energy use predicted? Is it measured after the fact? Do the predictions line up? Go forth and conquer the things in your home that drive you nuts. And that is the end of Home Comfort 101. Thank you so much for listening to all three parts. 
and we hope that this has been valuable to you. If you'd like to buy the rest of the book, it is available at natethehousewhisperer.com. And as time goes on, we are developing a contractor network so that home performance specialists are not so difficult to find as they are today. We hope to have that platform up and running in early 2020. Thanks again for listening. This is Nate Adams. Have a lovely day. Thanks for listening. That's the end of the first chapter of the Home Comfort book, which is called Home Comfort 101. This, by the way, is a free download as a PDF that you can use for free with no strings attached for any of your clients that you may find this useful for. The only string is please use it ethically. That's it. If this has caught your curiosity, please join us on Facebook in the Home Performance 2.0 development group. We're talking about how exactly to infuse home performance work into an HVAC company. And it's not as difficult as you might think. It's all about educating and offering options. And it's really about offer and decline. So if you are tired of getting lots of unpaid callbacks, doing lots of free quotes, um, not solving problems, the process that we're developing will make those problems go away and it should be very easy to implement into your company. So if that sounds interesting, Tersh will put a link at the bottom and I hope you've enjoyed this. Please use it with your clients. I'm Nate Adams and have yourself a wonderful day.